Pastor Carolyn's message last week was such a great start to our Lenten series, and, and yes, it's time we formally announced that Pastor Carolyn is, is appointed as a pastor here at Clay Church. Absolutely. And what that means is word is out, so she's not here today. She got invited to preach somewhere else. She did a great job kicking off our series, The God We Can Know. As we move toward Easter, we're examining the I Am statements in the Bible, specifically the Gospel of John. One of the gifts that we find in the Bible is this truth that God, who is, who is ultimately beyond our knowledge, beyond the fullest of our grasp, also chooses, right, through God's revelation chooses to reveal parts of God's self to us. This comes most vividly in Jesus. And as Carolyn shared last week, one of the gifts then is that as we get to know God better, as we get to know these parts of God that God has revealed to us better, we come to better understand ourselves. Made in the image of God, the better and more we know about who God is, the more we know about who we are. We're going to continue this journey today, and let me invite you to, into a moment of prayer. Holy God, as we explore these I am statements, we just pray that you help us to know you more fully. And in that search, better know ourselves. In these explorations, God, and today and throughout this series, open our hearts and minds to learn and grow, to deepen our relationship with Jesus. And in that relationship, to know the depth of your love for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was a kid, every, every Memorial Day weekend, we would go to Black River Lodge in Missouri. So many great memories were there, climbing the monkey tree with my cousins. It was a, a trip with cousins and cousins of cousins and some friends mixed in. And it was an every year journey. And, and there was the train and there was the, the river and, and building dams in the river and canoeing down the river and spitting off the bridge. But we're not supposed to tell those stories. Every year when we were ready to leave after all this great fun... I remember this, maybe more vividly than any of those other memories. I would break down in sobbing tears every year. I, I, I literally remember in like junior high, my parents were just used to it. and They just like shove me in the car and we'd go. You'd think after, after all that time of fun with, with family, I'd... I'd I, you know, just relish those, those times, but instead I would go home and I would feel miserable for days on end. Life just paled into comparison to those days at Black River Lodge. Do you ever feel like this? Like, do you ever have a great weekend and then instead of feeling refueled as you go through the next week, you just feel empty? 
Or maybe you've had this experience where you've been on vacation and you get back and you're like, I need a vacation to, to make up for the vacation. And some of that may be because you were active on vacation, but there, I think there's something else. Travel that is meant to refresh and refuel us sometimes just leaves us feeling more empty. And I, I don't think it's actually limited to just travel. Maybe you've had a great achievement at work something that you've been working on, or you've finished a project, and you feel really good for a day or two, but then after, there's just this, sometimes there's just this, this emptiness, feeling unfulfilled, or like something is missing, or, or maybe you've created something, and you worked on it, you're really excited about it, but once, once that happiness wears off, you, you feel like your life is just empty until, until maybe you start another project. There's a, a natural part of this experience, when we experience something that, that lifts our spirits, our, our body, it, there, there's a chemical reaction. It, it releases endorphins that make us feel good, and our bodies then desire to repeat that experience. It, it's what drives us. It's, it's, a, it's a natural part of our, of our biological makeup. But there also, I think, is a danger in this part of ourselves. We fill up with a great experience, and we think that the only way to repeat that is is to, to have more of it. And so we desire more and more and more. It's where addictions come from, but it can also, it can also happen with good things in our lives until the more is beyond us and we end up just feeling empty. The philosopher and statesman Cicero once wrote, for the thirst of desire is never either filled or sated. Not only are they tortured by the desire for increasing what they have, but also by fear of losing it. Now, Cicero was speaking directly of those who were sort of hoarding wealth and, and power in the state, hoarding things to fill their desires. But it could be said of many things that we use to try and, and fill the empty spaces in our lives. This empty feeling that I'm going to guess we all have sometimes or, or will face at some point may help us relate to those who hear Jesus say, I am the bread of life in John chapter 6. So I want you to think of those empty feelings you sometimes experience. Hold on to those as, as we take a look. John chapter 6 is this incredibly rich passage. We do not have time today. To, to dive in. There's some just amazing, amazing things that are going on in this passage. So this is really a shameless plug. If you want to join me at Mondays at 4.30 or Wednesdays at 6 p.m., we are going to dive into some really, uh, particularly in this passage, there's just an aha moment that you don't want to miss, but it takes a whole lot of backstory that, that we're not going to take time for this morning. John 6 starts with the feeding of the 5,000. It's a miracle story that is, is in all four Gospels. In John's account, we learn that when the, when the meal ended, the people had all had enough to eat. They were all full. They were obviously impressed, we can tell from the story, because it says that they wanted to make Jesus king. But political power and influence was, was not Jesus' mission. And so, instead of staying with the crowd, he, with, he withdraws. And then, the story tells us that, 
after he withdraws, the disciples, they get in a boat and they start across the lake. And Jesus, during high winds and waves, walks out on the water to join them. And that, I mean, just imagine that. That's a great sermon, but that's not our sermon today. What happens next is that the people who had been fed, or some of them who were still there, they gather the next day and realize that the disciples had taken a boat, but Jesus had just wandered off somewhere, and some boats pull up, and realizing that Jesus is gone, they get in some boats, and they take the boats to Capernaum, to the other side of the lake, to look for Jesus. And we're going to pick up the story in Scripture right there. John chapter 6, verse 25. When they, the people that were part of the crowd, found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now that may not strike us this way, but it's kind of an odd question. I mean, in our colloquial language of today, we, we might ask somebody this, like, when did you arrive? But, but it, it's not colloquial language in that time frame. And they would have known that Jesus had disappeared the night before and, and had gotten there. And so even the way Jesus answers the question, which we'll look at in a minute, gives us a clue that their question wasn't actually about when Jesus had arrived. <clears throat> we actually do this too with our questions. Um, have anybody, has anybody ever asked somebody, where were you? Anybody ever asked somebody that question? Right? There are a couple different ways we ask it. It can have more than one meaning, right? It can mean like, where were you? Like, before you were here, where were you in geographic location before now? But it can also mean, like, where were you? I needed you, and you were not here. So what were the disciples really asking when they say, Rabbi, when did you get here? It's very likely they're like, Rabbi, which means teacher. So they, 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 they're following Jesus because they, they see him as a teacher. They see him with something to offer. They're like, Rabbi, when, like, how did you get here? When, when, did you, when did you leave? You weren't on the boat. There weren't boats left. So, so how, did that, how did that happen? And then Jesus answers, and his answer tells us that they weren't asking about time. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Right, Jesus answers their real question. The real question is, hey, Jesus, we've been following you because we want that again. Like, show us again. And Jesus says, you're not just here to be with me and learn from me. You're here because you just want that experience, that fullness you experienced, that miracle. You just want to see that again. You just want me to, to prove it again. And they respond, they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? 
And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who he has sent. Like now the crowd's curious. Do you ever read a passage and you're like, I'm not exactly sure what you're saying here, Jesus. And so you you keep reading and you keep digging. Now the, the crowd is curious. They're like, what do you mean work for food that doesn't spoil? Like, we just came because we wanted you to fill us up. What, what are you asking us, Jesus? What work does God require of us? And Jesus answers, the work is to believe in me as the one God has sent. Now, this doesn't mean belief in, in some kind of intellectual assent. It's not just like believe in your mind in me. The word here for believe, it It indicates a a sense of of action, of of being willing to follow, to trust. Jesus is is saying to them, he's inviting them to to follow me as a rabbi, follow my teaching. Follow the way of God, the way of the Torah that I am, am teaching you. So they ask him, the crowd now comes back and they say, what sign will you give? that we may see it and believe you. What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Right In response to all this conversation, Jesus' invitation to, to follow and to learn from me, they're still like, well, prove it. Prove it to us. Give us more miracles so we know this is real. Have you ever had in a moment in life when you've, when you've tested God? Some of you have heard mine. I'm, I've shared it here. Miserable week of life and things falling apart. And I was like, God, just get me through this. And then I'll know you're real and, and I'll give some money to the church. It's a lousy thing is that nothing was defined, getting me through it, how much I was supposed to give to the church if God did. God, if you'll just heal my loved one, then I'll believe. God, if you just get me through this, I'll believe. God, if you're there, I could use proof. If you've asked any of these questions, you're, you're in good company. Jesus answers their question. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus has an answer for them. Moses Moses didn't give bread to prove God's existence. The bread came down because God provided for God's people. He essentially says to them, you came to be be filled again with food or, or with wonder and awe, but you're missing the gift, which is my very presence with you. Just as they experience God's provision, God's provision is here for you in in me. And maybe in a, in a moment, maybe in a moment of, of clarity, these people, they say, sir, they said, always give us this bread. 
Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. We hear this from the other side, but we need to pause a moment and realize that the people hadn't heard probably a person say this before. They knew that the Torah was sometimes presented as, as bread for life. They also knew some stories that, <clears throat> for us to understand the fullness of Jesus' statement, we need to know these stories as well. right? Because when Jesus said this, <clears throat> he was with Jewish people who were raised as, as little kids, particularly the boys, were raised to memorize the Scripture. They knew Scripture. So when Jesus shares something, he is often sharing something based in God's Word and the Torah and the, and the prophets. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, the people who hear it, they immediately go, oh, the, the story of Elijah and the bread. In the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17, there's this story of the prophet Elijah. A drought has struck. And famine is in the land, and God sends Elijah to a, a widow in Zarephath, where God says to Elijah, you'll be cared for there. And so Elijah comes to the woman, and he says, would you give me a, a drink of water and a slice of bread? And the woman says to Elijah, I, I have just enough flour and oil for one more piece of bread, and I was going to feed it to my son and I, and then we were likely next going to die of hunger. And Elijah says to the widow, just make the bread and share a piece with me, and God will provide. And so the widow does, as Elijah asks. And sure enough, the flour and the oil, they never run out. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. The widow trusts in this story, not because she could see God or even see what God had done. She trusts and she believes because of the word of God's prophet, Elijah. God provides, and she trusts in that provision. Jesus is counting on the crowd knowing this story. And then he's going to take this story and he's going to weave it into another one, right? One that the crowd has already talked about, the, the manna in the, in the desert. He says this, John 6, 48 to 51, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. In Exodus 16, Moses has led the people out of Egypt, and they're, they're roughing it in the wilderness, and they are grumbling and not happy. Anybody ever grumble to God? You don't have to put your hand up for that. They are grumbling and they are unhappy. And why are they grumbling and unhappy? Well, they, they don't trust Moses and they don't trust where God is leading them. 
And so Moses, he shares their grumbling. Their grumbling is, we're going to starve. We would have been better off in Egypt. Can we just go back? We're going to starve out here. Why did God just bring us out here to starve? Moses shares the, the grumbles with, with God, and God provides manna every day. Every day, there's this, this bread on the, on the ground, this bread-like substance on the ground. And God tells Moses to tell the people to collect just enough for every day. God's going to provide for you every day. You don't need more than that. Just enough for today. And then the day before the Sabbath, collect enough for both days. And if you collect any more and it's going to go bad, and some people tried it, sure enough, you couldn't hoard it. Just trust in God's provision day by day. And every day, the people eat. Jesus has now taken this, this story of Elijah and, and this story from Exodus, and he uses them to teach, and he makes a bold statement about, about who he is. It's as though Jesus is saying, you want signs, but what you missed in the story is what you should be looking for is just God's provision, God's blessing in the day. It isn't about the, the miracle. It's about daily using the blessings that God puts in front of you, daily relying on presence. And because you're not doing that, you're missing God's presence right here with you now in, in me. It's about recognizing God's presence in me, in Jesus. I am the bread of life. What do you know about bread? You eat it every day. You eat it every day, not just once. You eat it as you need it to sustain you. Like the widow in Elijah, Jesus says, put your trust in me daily. Eat this bread and it will never run out. We seek to fill the empty spaces in our lives in so many ways. Right? Some are good things. Travel, work, play. Some aren't so good. Alcohol, gambling, drugs. But, but good or bad, Jesus invites his followers to, to realize this. You can't fill the empty space by yourself. You can't get full enough by your own volition to fill the empty space. A number of years ago, I was invited to a walk to Emmaus retreat. <clears throat> Some here at Clay Church have experienced this retreat. It is, a, it is an incredible, powerful experience. An odd thing happened to me after that retreat, though. I spent months after that retreat with this empty space that I couldn't feel spiritually. On that retreat, there was a, an experience of, of God's presence that was so emotionally powerful that I, I began to think, I need that experience again to know God's presence in my life. And so I craved it, and I looked for it in all kinds of different worship experiences, and I couldn't find that experience again. And it was weeks and, and months later when I was leading a retreat myself and thinking about how to help people experience God's presence and realizing how spiritually dry I was that I realized something really important that I had probably missed in the Emmaus experience. God's presence 
right, wasn't something that I needed to wait for someone else to create an experience for me to, to know or to feel. I didn't need somebody to create a powerful worship experience for me to know God's presence. I just needed to claim it. I just needed to accept an invitation from Jesus to know God's presence in each and every moment. The powerful and emotional ones, absolutely. But also in the, in the mundane and in the everyday. We, we, I think, can easily come to equate God's presence with the, with the powerful, the awe, and the, the, the wonder, the times we're filled to overflowing spiritually or otherwise, and there's nothing wrong with that. Those are our reminders. These are great moments. But what happens if we think that these are the only moments that God is present? Right? If the miracle doesn't come, if I'm not moved emotionally, then is God really there? What if I don't feel God's presence? It's actually a, a question as a, as a pastor we get asked a lot. What, I don't feel God's presence with any, with any regularity. Is, is something wrong with me, people will ask, and the answer is no. But that doesn't mean that God isn't present. God is with you. The spiritual step to know this presence, the way to live in this presence, to fill that hole in our lives, is that instead of looking to be moved or filled to overflowing by some external source, we need in our spiritual presence to accept God's presence in the every day. To claim the promise of Jesus to be with us in the mundane and the ordinary. If you don't feel that presence, it's okay. Sometimes we don't. We trust without seeing that Jesus is with us. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. I'm his presence as the simple act of eating every day. Pastor Rob Fuquay, in his book, The God We Can Know, has, I think, a helpful way. He, he distinguishes the difference between being full and being satisfied. Right? We'll never fill the empty space ourselves with enough that it, that it lasts. Every time we fill it up, we, we, if we want to repeat that experience, we have to crave more and more and more. Satisfaction, however, comes not from more, but from faith. When we learn to be satisfied with what God has given us in this day, then we experience the fulfillment, the joy of Christ's presence in each and every moment. Satisfaction comes in accepting every day as a gift and celebrating the gifts of life. Relationships, food, work, play. Every day. Let me share that again 
Satisfaction comes in accepting every day as a gift from God and celebrating the gifts God has given us in life every day. Knowing Jesus, following Jesus is enough. Some of you may know in the, in the life guide every week here at Clay Church, there's a, there's a faith fit challenge. <clears throat> and I haven't referred directly to it, and I realize in, in quite some time, but, but every week there's a practice, a, a, way, to, a way to live into the, the message, a way to further delve into Scripture. And I, I want to invite you just to take that faith fit challenge home this week. And there's just a simple invitation this week, and that is just to start every day with this, with this prayer. Before you leave the house or when you get out of bed, just start every day with this prayer. God, help me treat every gift of this day, food, relationships, opportunities, work, play, like the manna in the Bible. Blessings to enjoy this day in this moment. I am the bread of life. May we rest in the promise that God provides and in the fulfillment that in celebrating that provision each and every day we know Jesus is with us. Amen.